0: We are <clears throat> entering into a series, excuse me, <clears throat> called "New Beginnings." Started up a couple of weeks ago, post Easter. What does Easter offer us? What does Jesus offer us in the season of the Resurrection? So it's it's an opportunity. It's a time with new possibilities, even as the spring is here in the north. Um, we have opportunities with Jesus. And so we've looked at a variety of individuals, and this time we look at a community, the community of Nazareth, uh, and wondering what their response will be to Christ as he returns home, the hometown boy coming home. How will they respond? So, what new beginning is there for that community? So we pick it up, Mark 6. He left that place, that is Capernaum, and came to his hometown, Nazareth, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astounded. And they said, where did this man get all this? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hand? So Jesus leaves Capernaum, which is on the coast of the Sea of Galilee, the lake, heads up into the hills and south to the inland town of Nazareth, which was where Jesus had grown up. And he's not returning home for a casual visit. He's returning home as a rabbi with his disciples. And so even as Jesus has visited other communities in Galilee, so he is visiting his hometown now. And the question is, how will he be received there as a rabbi? And so as his custom was, at least in these beginning months of ministry, he begins in the synagogue and he teaches on the Sabbath. And Paul picked up on this later. And he would also go into the communities, would begin in the Jewish synagogue. And so Jesus goes into the synagogue. And, and someone could get up and, and speak. And so they give the chair to, to Jesus to speak and to divide the word of God. And so he begins then. And the townspeople, the people in the synagogue and the community are amazed, we're told, at two dimensions. Both his wisdom, which is Sophia, and his power, dunamis. So they recognize him as a person of wisdom and power and they are amazed. Interesting that Daniel, as one of the major prophets, that he was also Daniel two twenty-three. He was Single[d] out as a person of wisdom and of power. And there's a lovely statement in Corinthians where Paul speaks of Jesus. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. So Paul sees Christ this way as well. He's the power of God, he's the wisdom of God. And so as Jesus begins to speak, they, they recognize these facts. But at the same time, they, they, they can't get out of their mind that Jesus was the one who grew up in their midst. And so we see in Mark 6, 3, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Jose and Judas, and Simon Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him, or, or were indeed scandalized by him. It's a strong word. And so they recognize that he has wisdom, they recognize that he has power, because clearly he's performing different miracles and so on. They've heard of that, they know that. But they, they continue to put Jesus in a box. And so they see him as a carpenter. Now the actual word there is more craftsman, it's not a usual word for laborer. So which is interesting. So Jesus was a skilled person. He was a skilled craftsman. So he worked in wood. He worked in stone. He could shape things. He could mold things. He was skilled. So he wasn't just anyone who's moving stuff. He's a skilled person. He's recognized that. As that. So Jesus did not grow up in a palace. He he, he was someone who worked with his hands. It's interesting, in the second century, there was a critic of Christianity named Celsus who mocked Jesus in his writings as a laborer. How could this laborer be the leader of your faith? And he was mocked and critiqued that way, Celsus. So Jesus has always been that. So what it means is that Jesus really does identify with us as every man, every woman, every person. He is in solidarity with us. He knows the human condition. He he lives his life. He lives his life in this little town for 30 years, interesting. And it's also interesting that he's identified as the son of Mary. This is an unusual phrase. Usually it would be the son of the father. That suggests to us that Joseph has already died and that Jesus is the elder brother and he's taking responsibility for his family and caring for his siblings and he does not, interesting enough, leave home until he's 30. (coughs) He doesn't leave until he has confidence that his family can take care of his mom. (coughs) And then he leaves. So at the age of 30, Jesus begins his ministry. But they have seen him and identify him. They remember him, probably some of them, running around in town as a boy. And so they, they can't get that out of their mind. Jesus is in a box. <clears throat> that's how they see him. And that's how they determine their, their view, their, their own prejudices. This is how they see Christ, the son of Mary. That could also be a... Disparaging comment. There would have been rumors about Mary's birth of Christ. He was illegitimate. They weren't married when when this happened. So all of these rumors in a little small town, you can imagine, gossip in a small town. So that's how they are determining Christ, even though they recognize his wisdom. And also his power. He is ordinary. He's just like us. And they took offense at him, verse 3. They were scandalized, literally. That's it. They were scandalized by Christ. And so we're looking at, you know, we've looked at a couple of stories of faith. A couple of stories of belief. Jairus, the woman with the hemorrhage. How they respond to Jesus in faith. Now those stories are now followed by this story where there's a lack of faith and where there in fact is no faith and they just put Christ in a box and their prejudices determine the whole way they see Jesus. So it's a negative reaction. So it speaks then to the issue of Jesus' identity. Who is Jesus? What do we do with Jesus? Do we accept him or reject him? That's front and center in this story. And then there is this tension between belief and unbelief. You know, what are we doing with him? Who, who is Christ? And there's a putting down of their own. You know, sometimes we do that. Someone is from our community and, and then we just, you know, we have a hard time seeing them in any other light. In fact, we don't want to see them in that light. Credentials. So there was a concern for credentials in Jesus' day, even as there's a great concern for credentials in our own day. So that's how the story begins. Faith or no faith? How do we see Christ? What new beginnings are possible for Nazareth? So that's how the story grows, and then we see Jesus' response in verse 4. Then Jesus said to them, Prophets are not without honor, except in their hometown, and among their own kin, and in their own house. So it's interesting Jesus' response. And so he responds with an aphorism. And the aphorism is, Prophets are not without honor, except in their hometown. So this is a known statement. You think back to Jeremiah. Jeremiah, considered one of the great prophets in the history of Israel, I mean, he was put down by his own community because they did not like his message, his message that they were going to be judged as a nation. They didn't want to hear that. In fact, they dug a big hole and threw him in the hole, and they just wanted him to die down there. I mean, that's how badly they treated him. So he had no honor in their own locale, in their own area. And Jesus actually takes this even a little bit deeper because he goes on, We see it, and he develops it. Prophets are not without honor except in their hometown. That's the aphorism, and then he adds it, and among their own kin and in their own house. So that's that's not part of the proverb. Here Jesus is adding that even in his own kin, amongst his own kin, the extended family, Jesus is not accepted, and then indeed in their own house. So we can think back to Mark 3, 31, 32, and especially 3:21, where the family come and they, they are saying that Jesus is out of his mind. He must be insane for what he's saying. So this is a painful rejection of Christ by his own people. And, and that, that was really painful for him. That was hurtful. He, he recognizes that and even adds it to this proverb. So he's not making stuff up. He returns to his hometown and they reject him. And this is hurtful for Christ. He's getting rejection everywhere. And now he goes to his hometown. Was he expecting something more? Maybe He probably was hoping for you know, a positive response. Maybe he's saying to his disciples, hey, when we get to Nazareth, things will be a bit different. We're going to be received there. People will have you know, a party for us but there's no party. In fact, there's just rejection. And so that's the response that Jesus recognizes. He's met by coldness, by indifference, indeed by contempt. And where that you know, kind of strikes us in a particular way is in verse 5, it says, he could do no deed of power there. And then the next verse, verse 6, Jesus was amazed at their apostheia, unbelief. There's pistis, faith. There's apostheia, unfaith, if you like. And here they are met by a lack of faith. There's indifference to the work of Christ. And it has the impact that he could do no deed of power there. So I like this quote by Grasser who wrote... Just as his power is our salvation, so our unbelief is his powerlessness. Wow, that's pretty positive or pretty powerful, sorry. Last week we heard stories of salvation. The word sozo is used there of Gyrus. The girl is saved, sozo. The woman with her hemorrhage is saved. So just as his power is our salvation, so our unbelief is his powerlessness. And so the, the point here is being made that you know, our faith or lack of faith either helps or hinders the work of God. It's not neutral. So when we do not believe, it actually hinders the work of God. When we actually go forward in faith, it opens up the kingdom of God. And so Jesus is looking, and Mark adds a statement, and he could basically hardly do any works of power there because there, were, there was no openness. Nobody wanted to come forward and touch him like the woman who was ill we, saw, we looked at last week. They're not interested. They're just cold to the whole thing. So we can think of ourselves, you know, are are, are our attitudes helping the work of God or are our attitudes hindering the work of God? They're not neutral. We're responsible for how we respond to this whole thing, the kingdom of God. But there are a few who believe, verse 5, Some were cured which means that some did respond in faith. So it's not an absolute. It's not saying that nobody in Nazareth responded at all. There were some. There were some who had perception. There were some who recognized that Jesus was from God and spoke real wisdom and could do powerful works on behalf of God through his spirit. And some were cured. So there's a remnant here, if you like. There are are some who are not living in hardness but are opening up their hands in faith and trust. So that's the good news. We can be respond, you know, surrounded by a lot of unbelief, surrounded by a lot of lack of faith, surrounded by a lot of people who are cynical, who are indifferent, who are growing cold. And that can impact us or we can stay close to those who are close to the fire and receive their warmth and strength and encouragement. You know, how do we live our lives and who do we associate with, very important. So having heard the story and then Jesus' own response, you know, where, where do we go with that for a few mo- moments as we close? And, So as I've already noted, this story of unbelief follows two stories of belief. So the issue then is for us, well, where are we here in this tension of faith or unfaith? Opening our hands up or closing our fists to God? What's our ongoing response to Jesus? What is the new beginning for us in this post-Easter season? the new beginning for you, the potential for you. There's always this possibility of new birth and new life, becoming more authentic, you know, working through our hassles. Sure, we have hassles. We, and we can go through seasons of doubt, no, no question about it. But we can also break through that, and the, and the seed can work through, you know, it. The hardness. It's one of the things about Prince Edward County wines, apparently, is that the soil down there is tough soil. It's, it's, it's rocky. It's, it's hard to produce good wine in Prince Edward County. But the experts have recognized the fact that if they work hard, the, the vines will do well eventually because they have to work hard. And they work hard, and then eventually, A good harvest is produced and good wines are produced. But it's the hardness and challenges that can actually lead to the good wines. And So, yeah, we can face hardships, difficulties, we certainly do. But as we look to Christ, as we say yes to him, that can actually lead to very positive things and a bumper harvest. So what's our response? Open hands or closed fists? Do we want to be healed? Do we want to say yes? The crowd didn't want to say yes. They didn't want to get out of their ruts. They were stuck as, in terms of how they saw Jesus and they just wanted to stay there and basically have him go away just as the townspeople in the area of the garrisons wanted Jesus to go away. They asked him to leave. Well, here people are asking Jesus basically to leave. We don't, we don't want you here. You're not our hometown, you know. You're not our boy anymore. So the question is, do we want to be healed? Jesus asked the invalid at the pool of Bethesda, do you want to be healed before he heals him? Do you want to be healed? So do we want to open our hands or not? We said before, Jesus goes where he wants. He's not going to force you to open your hands. And then on the other side of it, we see that this story does become a teaching moment for Jesus with his disciples because the next story that we're going to see is Jesus sending out the 12 in groups of two and they are going to be out, sent out in ministry and they are also going to experience some rejection. Not everybody's going to receive them. Some will, but a lot won't. So we see in Mark 6:11, Jesus says, if any place will not welcome you and they refuse to hear you, as you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. He says there will be rejection. So, you know, not everybody, not everybody in your family is going to say yes. Some will reject. They have the power to reject and say no. So that can be their response. So Jesus gives a heads up to his disciples, Hey, you guys are going out soon, so you've seen me. I've been rejected here. The same may happen to you, so be prepared. It can be the same for us here in the community of Weston or for you in your church, wherever you are. So do we open up our hands or do we keep our fists closed? I've always been struck by the statement, in Hebrews, as I close, uh, where the writer of Hebrews references Esau. And the statement is with Esau, you know that later, the writer says, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent. Note, even though he sought the blessing with tears. Wow. Esau finally comes to some sort of sense. He wants his dad to bless him. But the the moment's gone. His dad can't bless him in the same way. It's gone. Even though he sought the blessing with tears. So the point of that is, let's not play games with God. Let's take our walk seriously because we can never count on whatever happens to us in the future. If you have the moment, you are feeling sensitive to God's call, the best time to respond is right now. May we do that. Open our hands up in faith. New possibilities of faith in this season, in Christ's name.